Happy Tribe podcast, an audible experience to inspire, inform, and educate you on how to build and manage your money mindset. I am your host, Anna Pereira, and I am passionate about increasing my own financial intelligence and developing a positive money mindset. And I am ready to share with you what I know about building long-term wealth. Hey guys, welcome to episode three of the Happy Tribe podcast. I want to thank you uh, for hanging out with me once again and for listening so far to the first two episodes. Uh, This one today is one that I'm really super excited about um, because I am going to be getting into the real juicy stuff, right? Some some big things have happened in the the history uh, of money. And I want to dive into it today and explain a lot of these um, moments in our in our history. So there is a great quote by Winston Churchill that goes, the further you look into the past, the further you can see into the future. Winston Churchill was a pretty smart man <laughs> and I have a lot of respect for him. Another great guy, of course, is Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. I'm a huge fan of his music and one of his song lyrics goes, but to understand the future, you have to go back in time. So in today's episode, I'd like to explain some key historical events that impacted how the world went from believing in real money being gold and silver to the current monetary system we are in that is based on fiat currency. So at the start of the 20th century, so that's 1900s, before World War I and way before ATMs and before electronic transfers, people would receive their money in gold and silver coins. They would then deposit their um, coins in a bank vault and would be issued with a banknote or a claim check that had been issued by the treasury of that country. Now, I'm probably showing my age here, but if you're an 80s child and remember watching shows like DuckTales, you'll remember Uncle Scrooge McDuck diving into a pool of gold coins. Notice how it wasn't a pool, a pile of paper money that he was diving into, right? Now, in essence, the claim check was like a bank receipt, uh, which specifically stated that the banknote was worth $20 in gold coins and payable to the bearer upon redeem. This was actually stated on the uh, claim check or on the piece of paper, basically, that uh, became called currency. So this is really how and why we began to think of currency as money because there was confidence that the currency, the piece of paper you held, had value because it was backed by the gold and silver being held in the bank vault. However, in the t- by the time World War I began, they stopped permitting that the banknotes people held be redeemable for their gold and silver. Basically put, the government held the money, held the gold, I should say. Now, it's common knowledge that both World War I and World War II first began in Europe. During both wars, it's people like farmers, factory workers and everyday middle class men who are, of course, enlisted into the army. 
the factories that were producing, you know, staples like the wheat and household items like toasters or cars were turned into factories that built tanks and weapons that were then shipped off to the front lines. World War One began in 1914 and lasted for four years. During the time, during this time, it was the USA that was supplying European countries with their essential needs like grain, sugar, medical supplies and consumable goods. They were being paid by the European countries in gold bullion. So gold, actual gold bars, right? This exchange continued throughout World War II. And which, of course, we know that that lasted from 1939 until 1945, six years. World War I lasted for four years. So during this time, America's wealth grew because of all the gold that they were receiving from the countries at war. Now, America, they didn't get involved in both wars until the very last and late stages. So by the end of World War II, the United States of America held two-thirds of the world's gold. In 1944, 44 countries who became allies during the war came together to a town called Brenton Woods, New Hampshire in the United States of America. They were to discuss a new world where war and depression would never happen again. Their economies and their people had suffered tremendously and their intention was to create a new monetary system as well as to ensure trade agreements would never again lead to unnecessary wars. Now, several things were agreed upon during the negotiations at Bretton Woods. Number one, the IMF or International Monetary Fund was created. The objective here was for the IMF to be helping countries who have problems with currency, with debt, paying off that debt. In essence, they act as an advisor to that country. Number two was the World Bank. They were created to assist the poor developing countries. They believe that it was because of the Great Depression that it led people into believing in, uh, in leaders like Adolf Hitler, who promised to lead the country out of misery. The World Bank is supposed to work with poor countries to lend them money and then help their economies prosper. It was the World Bank and the IMF that intervened and bailed out Greece uh, in, in 2015. Number three is the World Trade Organization or the WTO. They were created to act as a type of courtroom to ensure fair trading between countries and make sure that these countries uh, follow the rules. The most important part, I believe, of the Bretton Woods uh, system was that gold would be tied together to the US dollar, meaning that one US dollar would hold its value only because it was backed by gold. So in this case, it was one twentieth, which means 20 paper dollars, right? So 20 paper bill dollars bought you one ounce of pure bullion gold. The other world countries would also have the same value as the US dollar, meaning that my Aussie dollar held the same value as one US dollar. Things like foreign exchange didn't exist. And so they agreed that trades between countries would be done in US dollars as it was, of course, to be backed by the gold, which held the true value. 
Now, this was all well and good, and each country returned to their little corner of the world. However, the US government continued to print more of its currency and would pay other countries this way, meaning there was way more currency being printed than there was stored gold. Doing this debases and devalues a country's currency. Why would someone accept a payment for goods like cars, machines and food supplies that takes time, resources and accept money in something that was literally created out of thin air? And so this continued on and it wasn't until 1965 that the French president, Charles de Gaulle, realized what the American government was doing. He immediately put the US dollars on a ship and sent it back to the United States and demanded to be paid in gold bullion. Because of the Bretton Woods agreement that tied the dollar to gold, the US had no choice but to comply and then sent back their money in gold bullion. So other countries, of course, followed suit. And by 1971, a very important thing happened. The infamous President Nixon announced the separation of the US dollar to gold. Now, why did he do that? He did that because the USA had an oversupply of currency outside of its own country. And if they continued to swap their own returned US currency for the gold bullion they held, they would lose all the gold and they didn't have enough gold to begin with to trade with the amount of currency they had created to pay these other countries. So by taking the US dollar off the gold standard, it meant their currency would no longer be backed by anything and they wouldn't have to pay back the gold. But it also meant that they would be able to keep their gold and other countries would keep their printed currency. The Bretton Woods system was over. And what this meant was that all the world currencies held no real value other than being pieces of paper. A new monetary system was now in place and currency was now fiat currency. And governments had a green light to print as much money into existence solely for their own political benefit. Wow, <laughs> I know that's a lot to take in. Um, now, you might still be thinking or wondering, well, thanks for the history lesson, but what does that have to do with our current financial situation? I say it has everything to do with our current financial situation right now. Every time you switch on the news, you are being told about how the government intends to get the economy back on track and how it's all COVID-19's fault that we had to shut down the economy and are now heading into a global depression. Please note that I said depression and not recession because that is exactly where we are headed, unfortunately. Um, again, the media is going to downplay it and tell us that it's only a recession, only because they don't want to tell us the truth. You and I are hearing about a stimulus package for JobKeeper, JobSeeker, a package for a small business and how they intend to bail out the airlines and big corporation. A stimulus package implies that it will help get the economy moving again. When the truth is that stimulus basically means stealing wealth from our future generations. The debt that is being created today will be paid for by our children, our children's children and our children's children's children. When does it ever stop? Let me paint a picture of what I mean. 
The Prime Minister or President, depending on where in the world you are, has a big checkbook. However, unlike our own checkbooks, which are tied to a bank account, where currency is stored in digital form, the bank check that they use is tied to a non-existent account. There is no money in their account. It's fake, doesn't exist. With this check, they hold a treasury auction and sell parts of that check and rename it a bond. Think of a bond as more of an IOU. So let's say that a bond is for $100 and five banks take $20 each. They then take their bond or their IOU over to the reserve bank who prints out the currency and just like that, poof, currency is created. They promise to pay back uh, the borrowed um, uh, amount with 2% interest. Then they sell off their this debt as credit to you and I in the form of a loan with a 5% interest. The treasury also creates its own bonds and has the reserve bank print out some currency for each government department who then uses the currency to build, develop its own projects. It pays its government employees who of course also then pay taxes. All of this currency created from that one single check that was really a fake to begin with. However, governments get away with this because they call it deficit spending. The amount that was written on the original check is then added onto the tally of the country's total debt. When you hear the term deficit spending, so big I can't even pronounce it right now. <laughs> when you hear the term deficit spending on the news, you will now understand that what that means is we don't have money, so we are going to make some up and add it to your tax bill later on. To put it in plain English, they are stealing the wealth of our future generations. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. It's a complex system and it's designed that way to keep you confused and unaware. It's why they don't want us to have financial intelligence because when we do, you and I start to realize that the entire world's monetary system is one big scam, one big giant pyramid scheme to keep you and I in the employee column. It's why they are so keen to get us back into our nine to fives and keep us there so we can continue to be distracted and none the wiser of the government scam that has enslaved us for generations and intends to enslave our children as well. <sighs> so, okay, I know that's a lot of information to absorb in one go. Believe me, I know. <laughs> I'm not someone who um, I consider myself extremely bright. I'm just an average person. And maths was never even my strongest subject at school. I actually hated maths. <laughs> but my point is this. We, us... The people, we are the ones who can change this system by becoming aware of how it works, by becoming conscious and open-minded about how the financial system is designed to legally steal wealth from the middle class and continue to allow the elites of the world to control the masses. But that's where it can and is changing. The more you and I learn, the more you know, the more 
the more you know, the more you can grow. I'm not sure if that's a quote from Dr. Seuss, but it sounded really good in my head. So I want to wrap it up here for now, as I know uh, it's a lot of information to take in, but I'd uh, really like to encourage you to do some research. There are so many awesome uh, videos on YouTube uh, where I have learned from and understood and helped me to understand things like bonds, futures, derivatives, etc., or, or even about the Brenton Woods system. Uh, one of my fav- favorite people to learn from is a man named uh, Mike Maloney. I will try and link up uh, an episode by Mike Maloney, which explains in animated form exactly how the monetary system works. It's by far one of the greatest videos I have watched and opened up my mind and expanded my perspective. I highly recommend watching it. If you do, I would love to hear your thoughts on it, Um, you know, what you took away from it and if there is anything that you didn't quite understand. My intention with this podcast is to inform as many people as possible about the truth of our financial system and how, how to increase your financial intelligence and awaken the financial genius that I know is within you. Remember that only you can change your financial situation by seeking out knowledge for yourselves and the information that was kept from us during our school years. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. So thank you so much for listening. If you learned something by listening to this podcast today, please share it with your friends and family. I honestly believe it is so important that we start having more open conversations around money matters and financial matters, you know, so let's have a chat till next time. Ciao for now.